Welcome, welcome to the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leaders Podcast. I'm Paul Wilkinson, Adult Minister Groups Associate on the Brentwood campus, and we're here today to transition from our How to Make Disciples sermon series into our Just Like Barnabas Whole Life Stewardship sermon series. Kicking off with Acts 4, verse 36. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. I really enjoyed our How to Make Disciples sermon series. I hope that you guys did too, and I hope you sense the movement within our church. Uh, One thing that we've been missing in terms of disciple making as the corporate body of Christ is a common language. And I think this sermon series, if nothing else, has given us some common language, uh, terms like gospel conversations. I'm hearing them more consistently now out of our membership, out of people that I've met with one-on-one who are just in life groups, not life group leaders, but individuals in life groups wanting to step up and serve. I think people are understanding their calling first and foremost as disciple makers. To be a child of God is to be a disciple maker. And hopefully uh, a vision has been cast for them where they see what it looks like to become a disciple and and that the the ask of them is to really just help others believe and follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and live on mission with Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. We need to be present and help others move a little bit on that journey. So I've I've been very excited. I think we're getting some movement. I sit on preaching team on Monday afternoons with the uh, campus pastors and talk over how essentially what's going on in, in each of your congregations, uh, how things are being received. Uh, also how uh, the the congregations are hearing these messages and how it should be contextualized because each, each campus is different. So we may teach from the same text, but it's radically different the way our people are hearing it and the way it needs to be contextualized for the mission to which they're called in their local communities. And that's really exciting in hearing from each of the other pastors about how they're really gaining traction on disciple making and their people are really catching a vision for it. It's incredibly exciting. Uh, Let me remind you of the um, Gospel Conversations app, also called the Brentwood Baptist app, I think. You can get it in the App Store, uh, iTunes, wherever. Uh, but a lot of good training tools in there, a lot of uh, good stories for to encourage you there. So t- check it out um, and see, see if it's something that will be helpful to you as you are on the mission of making disciples. We as group leaders are so significant in that task of disciple making. We're the ones who interface on a personal level with our group members. Your teaching pastor likely doesn't know the names of everyone in that congregation, but if I pooled all of the life group leaders together, we could probably name all or really close to all of the people in our congregations. So we we are the front lines. We're the ones in the trenches here. If the disciple-making movement is going to continue and going to flourish within our corporate body as Brentwood Baptist, it's going to be because life group makers continue to elevate it. So please let me encourage you to not lose sight of the broader alignment. We talk about sermon alignment. We talk about aligning over this or that. 
Our real alignment is disciple-making alignment. We want to be a corporate body who believes and follows Jesus, who helps others be changed by Jesus, and who lives on mission with Jesus. And we want to be a corporate body who helps others do that, helps the lost and searching do that. So don't lose sight of that. Continue to elevate that in front of your people. Continue to use the spiritual challenge questions, which are on the back of those cards. Uh, I think I linked to it last week, and I'll link to it again in the show notes this week. Now we're moving to whole life stewardship. This tails really well. It syncs really well with how to make disciples. Because these, now we're calling to specific accounts. So our, our strategy for making disciples, our strategy for reaching the lost, our strategy for kingdom work uh, has been laid forth in the How to Make Disciples series. Now we're going to get into some specifics of what do we do as we are making disciples. What do we actually do? Different calls to leadership, different ways to plug in, different ways to invest oneself into the kingdom work to which we're called through the local body of Brentwood Baptist. Uh, So I'm actually very much excited about whole life stewardship. It is not going to detract from our how to make disciples. Rather, I think is going to augment it. I think is going to multiply it because people will ideally catch a vision of the specifics of the ways they're going to plug in. Um, It's also going to be synced with a vision series. I don't know if that's been made clear to you now, but traditionally what we've done is we've done budgets this time of year. So here's the money we need. Here's the money we're asking for to do ministry work. And then in January, we'll tell you what we're going to do with it. So in a way, in a way it worked out where uh, give us a bunch of money and then we'll tell you later what we're going to do with it. And there's been a lot of conviction at a lot of high levels within our family here at Brentwood Baptist, I said, we don't like that. We don't like doing it that way. We want our people, we, we don't want the mission disconnected from the people, as Mike always says, and he truly believes it. He says it to me all the time, is that the second reformation, this reformation we're in now, the Protestant reformation gave the scriptures back to the people, put it in the common language, took it back from clergy, gave it to individuals for whom it was always intended. This reformation that we're in now is giving ministry back to the body. For decades, we've outsourced ministry and discipleship to train professionals to the damage of the church. And what this Reformation is doing, and I think Brentwood Baptist is so much uh, ahead of the game on this, is ministry is back to the people where it's always been. Ephesians 4.11, that our calling here as staff is to equip the body to do the work to which you're called. Who are you called to make disciples of? Let me help you get there. Let me equip you. Uh, to be all you need to be in in that disciple making endeavor. So to that end, it'd be really good to share ministry initiatives, uh, many of which birth up through our congregations at the same time that we're making budgets, so that we're not doing these things separately. But we, as one big family, are doing this together. Not not give money now, and then in three months you'll know where it's going. But Hey, here's where we're planning. Speak into it. Do you like it? Do you not like it? What do we need to be doing better? How do we partner in this better? What spheres of influence are you running in that could supplement or augment what's going on already? Um, Where do you step into all of this? Where does your family step into all of this? How do you reach your neighborhood? Let's do all that together at the same time and not divorce the money from the mission, but understand it all goes to the same purpose of kingdom expansion and making disciples for the kingdom of God. 
So that's what we're doing. Simulcast this week, uh, October 7th. So Mike Glenn will be preaching from the Brentwood campus, but it'll be simulcast to all the other campuses. And then we'll have the local campus vision on the 14th of October. And then we'll have five more weeks of this Barnabas series. Uh, essentially, the series is laid out where each week is a different attribute. So Barnabas encourages, Barnabas affirms, uh, things like that. So it shouldn't be tough, I don't think, to find plenty of content for that. So we'll walk through some of that today and and how I suggest you go about doing it and mix in some of our philosophy of curriculum. I mean, you know, it's a lot of tension shows up when, when alignment's asked for, and I know it interrupts uh, flows that people are in when you're teaching through a book or otherwise, but um, there's some good reasons for it, and hopefully we're beginning to do it more faithfully than before so it's not as big of an interruption, and it's something that can be edifying and encouraging in syncing up movement. I mean, we, we want movement. And that's why the disciple-making strategy is so important, and I really hope you guys are are internalizing this in your mind. I mean, just, just think about it. So Lachlan Springs Campus, we have some group that's uh, walking through the book of James. At Av South Campus, we got some group that's uh, doing, um, I don't know, Bible studies for life or something. Or they're just in a Bible reading group, and they're working through the Gospel of John, let's say. Or you go to Station Hill and they're on the sermon series alignment. Or you come to the Brentwood campus and they're in Explore the Bible in Galatians. And you say, all right, but we're one big family. But we're all teaching different stuff every week. In what way are we aligning? In what way are we representing the same cause, the same mission? Of course we're representing the same God. But in what ways are we reaching our communities on a singular mission? And that's why disciple making is so important. Because whether you're teaching Galatians, Bible reading group in John, teaching through the book of James, or you're on sermon series, we're aligning around that reality of making disciples, helping others, the lost and searching, believe and follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, live on mission with Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus and becoming deeper and more obedient disciples of Jesus who are making disciples with Jesus. No matter what campus you go to and what lesson you're in, you ought to hear those themes coming out of it. And in that way, we can align as a corporate body in a way that's going to be a really effective mission in Middle Tennessee. And it's going to look different. Each campus in reaching their community is going to look different. But we're all about that same purpose of disciple making. And that's what's so exciting about it. We align on the big things and our tactics are um, left over to the to those in the trenches, which is which is great the way it ought to be. With this series, we are asking for alignment on curriculum and uh, going to sync up with the sermons that are being preached at each campus. And each week is going to be a sermon on Barnabas and how Barnabas is a model of how we want to make disciples and the sorts of disciples that we ourselves want to be. Our philosophy of curriculum is that we teach people. We don't teach curriculum. Curriculum is a launching pad for discussion. Curriculum is um, maybe like the fertilizer that you throw on. So you as a group leader have been tilling the soil. You have curriculum that can be fertilizer scattered throughout so people are engaging the text daily. And then remember, every study I've seen, Barna, Willow Creek, Lifeway, the number one indicator of spiritual growth is daily engagement with the scriptures. So I love it if you're teaching through the Psalms in your life group. The question is, is your group engaging the psalm every day? Because your 40-minute lesson is insufficient 
for their spiritual growth. So if you are not driving them to engage with the scriptures daily, to pray in the scriptures daily, then you're cheating them out of the catalytic growth that they need, um, even before we get to transparent groups and the rest. So the good thing about curriculum alignment is that those structures are already in place for individuals to be able to engage with the scriptures daily. But you might respond to me, and rightly so, because you guys know your logic. You guys are sharp. If we're teaching people, not curriculum, then what does it matter what I teach? Uh, In a sense, you're right. It doesn't matter what you teach insofar as it's biblical, as if it makes much out of the triune God, which we serve. It makes much of the name of the person and work of Jesus Christ. In one sense, it really doesn't matter. Uh, what you teach because again we're aligning not on that specific tactic of rehearsing the same content but we're aligning on the same mission of disciple making nevertheless just like you've been called to lead your life group we have individuals who have been called to lead us as a corporate body both our pastors our teaching pastors at each campus and our trustees which are comprised of individuals from numerous campuses and our um, resourcing teams and these sorts of folks are have been called and ordained and our representatives voted out of the congregations to stand as representatives of where we need to go as a corporate body. And there's times and seasons, uh, to quote Eddie Mosley, my supervisor here, a group's minister, adult group's minister at the Brentwood campus, there's times for family meetings and the trustees and uh, the pastors have decided that this is time for a family meeting where we gather together on the same content for a season, seven weeks. That's it. Seven weeks. We gather around the same content to say, are we going the same way in the bigger picture? And so what we have to ask ourselves is, do we trust that these individuals have been ordained in, in leadership roles? Do we trust that? And if they have, then I think we need to submit to that authority, whether or not we we like it. I mean, we all say that there's value to being a group leader and teaching for the Brentwood Baptist family, but that puts us under certain authorities. When I say I want to work at Brentwood Baptist, that puts me under authority where I don't always get to do exactly what I want to do all the time. Uh, There's moments where I have to trust that those in seats of authority over me are seeing a bigger picture that I don't see, and I take it on faith that the Lord has put them there. doesn't mean I always agree with it. Uh, doesn't mean I always agree with it at all. That means I don't push back on it, because I do push back on it. But in the end, I, I want to be obedient to that reality, because I do trust that they've been given special discernment, that they've been given a special sensitivity. They are prayers. They pray a lot. Uh, they are in their scriptures a lot. They are Holy Spirit infused as much as anyone I've seen uh, running around these campuses. And so there's moments in which we come together and and we need we need to get in line with that and trust that there's a bigger purpose playing out that's bigger than all of us. And I think if our focus is on disciple making, then I think we can make that seven week commitment without too much drama. Now, what is actually intended of an alignment? So in other words, you'll be given these books or you go online to adults.journeyonleadership.com and I'm going to type it in here and you may hear the keys clacking, but that's okay. It makes it, makes it more authentic. Uh, 
you go to adults.journeyonleadership.com, hover on the curriculum tab, click on current foundation series. And right now it's still listed as the second one, but it'll be up at the top very soon. And you have a date. Well, first you have a big heading, October slash November, just like Barnabas. Then you have October 7th, uh, M dash, I guess, technically, encourages. So Barnabas encourages. You have a personal study guide long. And distribute that to your people. If you don't have books, that's okay. Uh, distribute that to your people. I think we'll even be willing to print it for you if you want us to. I mean, it'd be tedious, but we'll do it. And your people can engage with the text every day as they look through this commentary, as they deal with the passage of Scripture at hand. And then there's a personal study guide short that's more for facilitation rather than, um, I guess, I hate to use it this way because it's not what I mean when I say teaching, but classically teaching proper, more from the front of the room out kind of teaching would be the long study guide, more or less gather in a small circle and have a a facilitator type discussion would be the short study guide. And then you have the leader guide, which has the more robust commentary, the more robust doctrine and everything else in it. So if you click on that, what you'll see is a summary and goal. So the general theme, um, talked about Barnabas's incredible degree of encouragement. Uh, and then they jumped to the writer of Hebrews because the pastors only chose one verse to teach on. And so it's going to be supplemented with Hebrews here. Uh, but in any case, that is essentially what your people will read each week. And your job as a group leader to is encourage them to engage in that each week. Do I then intend for you to come in to this uh, curriculum leader guide and use these introductions and use these questions and unpack it in just the way they unpacked it. Please do not do that. That would be, and and I'll get my hand slapped for this probably, that would be the worst case scenario. It would be so boring because I should know this already because I've read my own study guide during the week. (laughs) So here's what I recommend you would do. You would come in, you would uh, encourage your people. I hope you really, uh, had a great time in the scriptures this week, engaging daily with the spirit, praying in the scriptures, and that Barnabas has uh, very much compelled you to a deeper understanding of what it means to be a disciple. I hope that happened for all of you. Are there any questions? Are there any questions that you read about in your study guides? Are there any themes that came out in your study guides that, that really pressed upon you, that, that really... I really just compelled you to think deeply and meditate on those. I would love to wrestle those down with you guys. Do you have any of that? And then let the group feed into you because then you're going to know whether they studied or not. If they don't have anything to say, then now you can challenge them. I don't think you guys really engaged the text this week. I can't believe that you could sit in the word of God all week and not come back with anything that motivated or compelled you at all. And I want to encourage you all that I love you. I want to see you grow spiritually, but you're not going to grow spiritually by sitting and getting, as my wife, the high school math teacher, would say. You're not going to grow by me doing a bunch of research and giving you a bunch of facts on Sunday morning. You're going to grow by engaging the scriptures in the presence of the Holy Spirit yourself. That's what you need to be doing each week. And I don't think you all did it this week because you don't have any questions. You don't have any ideas. You don't have anything that compelled you this week out of the literal word of God. 
However, hopefully you don't have to challenge them that hard, but maybe you do. And um, and then now you just go on with your lesson, whatever you prepared. All right. Uh, but hopefully they do come back with some questions and you chase down what's on their hearts. I've never. And here's how I train my interns. Here I, here's how I train everybody that wants to be a teacher uh, that that's willing to submit to the, the way I do it. And some of the principles I like, I always let the group dictate. I always let the group dictate where they want to go. If I start with what the group's passionate about and what the group's thinking about, they're going to be more engaged. They're going to receive what they want. Never once have I ever not gotten through what I want to say. I've never not said what I needed to say throughout the course of a teaching time. But I let the group dictate and I speak into it what I think they need to know and challenge them and compel them and move them on a different way. All right, so let's say they come back with some questions. You chase all those down. That takes 20 minutes, 25 minutes. So you got 10 minutes left, thereabouts. Um, here's what I would do. I would not rehearse the stuff here unless it compelled you. As you study the leader guide, if it compels you, wow, this was a really great point. I want to dig on this for our last 10 minutes together. That's great. What I'm personally going to do, because I will be teaching this, and I'll be teaching this most weeks with you, so I'm not outside of the system here guys i mean i'm right in it with you is that i'm going to elevate a text or a part of a text that speaks well to the issue of where we're pushing people so to give you an example of how i plan on doing that let's look at our text for today which is x 436 and i'm going to do this with free software as opposed to my cheating software that i purchased so I go to BibleHub.com, BibleHub.com. I type in Acts 4.36 into the main bar there. Whenever it brings up my Acts 4.36 text, what I immediately do is click on interlinear. So you have your bunch of drop downs at the top. Then you have a search bar. Then you have a bunch of translations of the Bible. And then you have this light, really, really light blue bar. And one of those in between comment and Greek says interlin, meaning interlinear. So I click on the interlinear Bible for Acts 4.36. And that takes me to a page where you'll now have the Greek text. You'll have the English text. A lot of this looks a bit strange, but I'll walk you through what it means. The numbers at the tip top are Strong's numbers, which are really just like a dictionary. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Then you have the transliteration under that, which are all hyperlinks. Then you have the actual Greek text underneath that. Then under that, you have an actual English translation, a one-to-one -one translation. And then underneath that, you get uh, some of your conjugations. So Joseph is a noun, masculine, singular. Uh, conjunction, day. So now, sometimes translated as but. And then, of course, the ha there. Nominative masculine singular referring back to Joseph, which is also called Barnabas. And then we get our verb epiclethes, 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 in his aorist participle passive. So sort of the simple past tense, I guess. Something been done unto him because it's passive rather than active. So if you hover over near those hyperlinks underneath the English translation, you get the conjugation. The conjugation is going to give you illumination into uh, what the text is saying, uh, what it's about. What I'm going to do with the group that I'm teaching this for is I'm going to hone in on that word encouragement. One, because it's the name of the sermon. 
Uh, we want to elevate Barnabas as encourager too, because it's really the point of this text is that his name is Joseph, but everyone calls him Barnabas, I guess as a nickname, which means son of encouragement. And the first thing I'll point out, if you notice there, paraclesios, paraclesios, uh, paraclete is a word for the Holy Spirit. So at least one attribute of the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit as comforter, is being expressed here as Barnabas, as son of encouragement. I probably will not harp much on him being a Levite or a Cypriot. Uh, instead, I'm really just going to park on the uh, encouragement, uh, the, the, the paraclesios. Now, if I click on that number above it, the 3874, that is going to take me to Strong's Concordance, our dictionary, so to speak. And then here we have it, a calling to one's aid, encouragement, comfort, which is, again, why the Holy Spirit is called paraclete. And I'll make that point. Short definitions, exhortation, entreaty, encouragement, comfort, uh, a calling for, a summons, hence exhortation, entreaty, encouragement, joy, gladness, consolation, comfort. These are all good words to help illuminate what the uh, New Testament apostles thought about Barnabas. If you look to the right of the Strong's Concordance definition, you get the Englishman's Concordance. The reason that's valuable is that it says there's 29 occurrences of this term. And so you'll see it there. Seven times it's uh, paraclesi. Twelve times it's paraclesios, which is the one uh, we have today. And so you can open each one of those, which is what I'm going to actually do. And I'm doing it right now, right-clicking and opening them in, in new tabs. Because I want to see all of the texts where those appear. Because what I'm going to do with my group is run through any of those texts that have uh, value to illuminate the attributes that we want to have as believers grounded in, anchored in Barnabas's nickname as encourager. So I'll just take a look at the first one. And so I right clicked on that, opened up the seven occurrences. So we get Acts 9.31. And uh, New American Standard Version says, of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Acts 15.31 is translated as encouragement. Romans 12.8 is translated as exhortation. 2 Corinthians 7.4 with comfort. So just to give you an example, what I'll then do is I'll go read all the paragraphs that those texts are in, that those lines are in, and I'll draw out some general principles from those to try to give this well-rounded picture of who Barnabas is. Some people may say, I don't know that I can be a son of encouragement. Uh, They may say, I don't have the spiritual gift of encouragement. I don't know how to encourage people. It always comes across as phony. Well, you know, it could also mean exhortation. Could you challenge people in a loving way to become all that Christ would have them to become? It can mean comfort. Could you, should you just be present with people to help them have comfort? Uh, There's other ways that we can be an encourager that may not take on the traditional definitions, the traditional English definition of encouragement as we understand it. And so that's why doing a word study like this will elevate Barnabas as encourager and give us a more well-rounded, a more diversified model of how we ought to be disciple makers as encouragers. It may take the form of exhortation, consultation, uh, may take the form of comfort. If you scroll way down, you'll see Thayer's Greek lexicon. If you want to get really into the nitty-gritty of the Greek language, that's where you would go. 
uh, where it gives you different conjugations and how it likely best interpreted in those in those contexts. So let's just look at the first one here. I'm back on the original page of our um, encouragement term here, paraklesios. And I'm looking at number two under Thayer's Greek lexicon down there on the left side of the page. But it says, imploration, supplication, entreaty. 2 Corinthians 8.4. So we click on that. 2 Corinthians 8.4 says, with much entreaty, imploring us for the grace and the fellowship of the service among the saints. So it's a kind of pleading. It's a kind of, it's an encouragement through pleading about having fellowship within the context of the saints. This is the grace and the fellowship of the service of the saints. And now normally if I wasn't doing this, I would click for the whole chapter and just read the whole thing and put it in context, but that's good enough for now. So point being then is, uh, so let's translate it this way, words of appeal containing entreaties. So again, a pleading, an argument for. So maybe you have people in your group. Oh, I can't be an encourager. I don't actually encourage people. I'm a little bit dry. I'm a little bit meh. Uh, come across a little bit robotic. No one's encouraged by me. Well, can you make strong arguments that would appeal to them? Can you plead on their behalf to elevate them into something uh, that they could become more than themselves? Namely, one who more deeply believes and follows Jesus, being changed by Jesus, living on mission with Jesus. So that's an example of how I am going to handle this very coming Sunday, this text. So I'm going to provide space for the group. I'm praying the group has read. I'm praying they've read their link uh, for their study guide. So I'm going to make space for them to ask questions about that. I'm going to make space for them uh, to challenge, to I'll walk wherever they want to walk with it. But if they don't have anything, I'm going to go right into this and I'm going to walk through this idea of encouragement. I'm going to have probably 10 texts at least that I'll go to to demonstrate a diversity and a well-rounded, a broader, here's your technical term, semantic range. Semantic just is meaning. So you have this broad range of meaning for these terms. And I want them to get the whole range of it because maybe their expression and manifestation of encouragement as disciple maker looks a little bit different than Barnabas. Maybe it looks a little bit different than or what our classical English definition is, but yet may they still elevate Barnabas's character as they do it.